Good evening. This is Talking Sports with Evan. I want to thank everyone who's going to be watching live or watching other recording of this after we're done or listening to the podcast. Anywhere podcasts are found, you can find Talking Sports with Evan. Um, Apple, Spotify, you name it. Uh, podcast will be posted tomorrow morning. The show will be live video here on my Twitter page at Evan with Sports on YouTube, Evan with Allison, or Talking Sports with Evan on Facebook. You can watch the show live every Thursday night, or you can watch the recording of the past show. And today, got a special guest on the show, Paul Bretto, who writes for long line of things that you do, contributed to Packer Wire, writer at Dairyland Express, Packer Analyst with ESPN Lacrosse. Uh, I thought my job title was really long with everything I did, but I guess when do you find time to sleep? <laughs> i get i get a solid uh six hours or so seven hours but it's uh it's a labor of love so i enjoy it yeah and that's important you got to enjoy it otherwise it's gonna you're gonna be feeling it it's not gonna be fun so you know we're kind of going to the dead period now with with football now um mini camps done otas are done now we just between now and training camp which also leads to the end of basketball season and hockey as well so we're really done with most uh unless unless you want to talk baseball but the packers did have their otas they had their mini camps and the question everyone wants to know have you ever gone paintballing <laughs> are you there paul Paul, you there? Yeah, I apologize. I cut out a oh, little bit. I missed, the, I missed right. the question. My question was what everybody wants to know. Have you ever gone paintballing? <laughs> Packers won paintballing. <laughs> I actually I actually haven't though, but I think that's I think that's a couple times the Packers have done that now for their their you know day session. Uh, I think my internet's having some issues here, so bear with me. And of course, they want, the internet wants to have problems when I'm in the middle of my show. Of course, it wants to do that. But OTAs, just you know, they finished. Mini camps finished. What are some things that really stood out to you about this team? Uh, John Kuhn, who works with uh, uh, the game, uh, 97.3 The Game, uh, talked about this team looks young and fast. What are things that stood out to you? Yeah, the speed is a big part of it. And on the offensive side, obviously, the there's the youth, the inexperience. But in addition to the speed, what really stands out for me is the versatility. Uh, I think this is a much more versatile offense than what we saw last year. Doesn't mean they're going to be better, but it's more versatile. You have guys who can play a number of different spots along the offensive formation and you have guys that can handle a number of different responsibilities. So we've heard Matt LaFleur use the phrase illusion of complexity in the past. And in short, what he means by that is running the, the same play from a variety of personnel or running plays that begin similar, but end differently. And what that does is it keeps the defense off balance. It keeps them guessing. And in order to accomplish that, you need that illusion or you need that versatility. Cause think if you have Luke Musgrave and, 
the slot running a deep crosser. And then you have a quarter later, Jaden Reed in the slot running a deep crosser. Obviously how the defense goes about defending those players and subsequently the rest of the Packers offense is going to be, is going to differ. And so what that will really allow to do and where I think the benefit, especially for the Packers offenses is one, Matt LaFleur can go deeper into the playbook, but two, it's going to allow him to keep the concept simpler, which is obviously good for a, a young offense, but still with that versatility, that illusion of complexity, the simple concepts can still be uh, deceptive for the defense and again, keep them off balance, keep them guessing. So that's really one of the big things that stood out to me. And, you know, as they're going through OTAs, they're just laying the foundation in terms of what the offensive playbook is. So once they get to training camp, they got the baseline there and then they can go deeper. But towards the end, the final OTA practice we were at uh, and in minicamp, we saw a little bit more of players being moved around more. Uh, than what we had previously. So you could see them getting into that element. And I know it's training camp. I mean, not training camp. It's OTAs. It's mini camp, wearing shorts and helmets and going against air most of the time. But there has to be some things that you can kind of take away from. So example, Musgrave is getting a ton of compliments right now, uh, much faster than he looked on film. And he's just looking the part at that tight end position. What are your initial reaction on some of the rookies uh, that the Packers drafted in the 2023 draft, like a Musgrave or Van Ness or some of those guys? Yeah, I mean, Musgrave and Van Ness, like their size, speed, just obviously this time of the year in, in, in shorts out on that practice field, it just absolutely pops. I mean, Musgrave's ability to... to to get downfield quickly, smoothly, showing soft hands on on those downfield throws was incredibly impressive. Matt LaFleur said it best. He's different. Like they have not had a guy like that at the tight end position in who since who knows when. And again, what that can do is the Packers they didn't really have that dynamic presence at tight end last year. They had reliability. Robert Tunyon was a very reliable pass catcher, a big dog mostly a blocker, but when given the ball, again, a reliable pass catcher, but what they didn't have was that playmaking ability. So you add a Musgrave to that offense, deep crossers down the seam, not only creates big play opportunities for himself, but again, that trickle down effect, the attention that he draws, the spacing that he creates on the football field. He's someone who who can benefit everyone around him, you know, similarly to uh, you know, like Christian Watson can at the receiver position, again, just because of the speed, the attention, the space that he can create. So Luke Musgrave absolutely stood out. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, his burst off the snap, uh, eye-popping, his strength, you know, that's what his his uh, go-to move is as a pass rusher, is just to run right through offensive tackles. And you could see that there were a few snaps during the second practice where he he was backing up Yash Nyman during the first practice. You know, Caleb Jones, 6'9", I think 340, 350. He's, he's got him on skates moving backwards. You can see that power that he comes with. And one really impressive play that Van Ness had was, uh, it was shotgun. Sean Clifford was at quarterback. Uh, running back to his left, it was play action. And Van Ness had Yash Nyman uh, pushed him back a little bit with that initial pop. And instead of just going right to the quarterback, he ID'd whether there's a handoff 
for not. At the edge, once he identified that the ball, the running back did not have the ball, the position, the Packers have struggled. And so seeing that from a rookie, he's going to have to improve is in getting after or is having a secondary move when it comes to rushing the passer because he's not going to be able to run through every offensive tackle that he comes across. So when they stop him with that power, with him, although he's a first-round pick, the Packers want to ease in, typically want to ease in their rookies. And so I think he's going to start out primarily used on pass rushing downs and then from there, as he gets more acclimated, handles those responsibilities, they'll add more to his plate. But I would say Musgrave and uh, Van Ness, you see it right away. In terms of you know a young player who made plays, Malik Heath, he's an undrafted rookie. Obviously, this time of the year doesn't mean he's going to be on the final roster, but he's someone wide receiver who made at least one catch every single practice. Yeah, I've seen his name thrown around quite a bit. He was an undrafted guy believe out of Ole Miss, correct me if I'm wrong. And he's a guy that surprised me that went undrafted. Um, you talked about he stood out to you um, making at least one catch every practice. I guess, what are your thoughts on why he went undrafted? And I guess, what are the things you feel he does extremely well, or at least stood out to you during these mini camps? And I'm not hearing you on my end right now. I think I lost your sound right now, Paul. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, my internet works fine all day. And then when I try to do a live stream, it decides to start being all weird and whatnot. But... It's, I know it's been cutting in and out, but right now I just I don't have sound, at least that I'm hearing. So, not really. So how, why don't we try this? Um, try because can you hear me right now? I guess, why don't we try leaving the room and then coming back in and see if it affects anything, if that works. Yeah, so apologize for the technical difficulties. Don't typically have these technical difficulties and have a guest on and then wants to give me some problems. So um, while we wait for Paul to come back and see if that solves the audio issue that we're having, and hopefully it does, we'll see. But all of a sudden, I we, we couldn't hear him. At least I couldn't hear him on my end. I don't know if you could on yours, but um, I guess if you are watching live, let me know if you're able to hear what we're saying or what he was saying. That uh, would be quite helpful. Um, but why wait for Paul to come back? This is OTAs. This is minicamp. Can't really take a ton out of it right now, but it is fun to talk about. So let's bring Paul back and let's see if we're working now. Still don't have your audio. Okay. So.
Um, yeah, so again, apologize for the technical difficulties. Um, but Paul does write for Packers Wire, as I mentioned, uh, bring him into the show, writes for Packers Wire, had a great article on Packers Wire, one takeaway from each position group. Um, kind of wanted to get to talk about that article a little bit. Um, example, Jordan Love, up and down from Jordan Love. Um, you know, not surprising. Quarterbacks, you know, are going to struggle a little bit. Uh as they get adapted, you know, this is Love's first chance to start, uh, first chance leading the offense. He's going to be up and down. But the big thing is can't really overreact one way or the other based off what Jordan Love's doing. He might be taking more chances than he typically would take in a regular practice. He might be trying things that he wouldn't try in an actual game, trying to force things downfield a little bit. Now, of course, there's some throws you don't make. But, you know, you don't want to take too much into account on what the quarterback position is doing. And try Paul one more time. Can you hear me? Got you now. Yes. I'm not sure. You know, my internet's been uh, buffering a little bit before you joined. So I I don't know exactly what happened. No worries. But I know you were talking about um, wide receiver from Ole Miss, the Mm -hmm. undrafted guy who seems to be making a play every time he's on the field. Um, I guess just continue what you were saying about him. Yeah. So I I was starting to say that he's got production in the sec. He had, I believe almost a thousand yards during the 2022 season, average 16 yards per catch. So, I mean, production in that conference at the NFL level, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but doesn't mean anything or it doesn't not mean anything either. Still, it's still impressive. And where he, stood out in my eyes was making contested catches. He's also just a very smooth route runner. There was one pass during OTAs where Sean Clifford connected with him down the sidelines and he had three defenders around him, multiple hands up in the air going for that ball. And he came down with it during a two minute drill. Sean Clifford connected with him on a deep out and then a corner route on the opposite side of the field on back-to-back plays to put the Packers offense during that drill towards the red zone. And then during seven on sevens, uh, during mini camp, there, there were two groups. There was a group of offensive and defensive players going against each other. And then a group of offensive and defensive players on the other end of the field going against each other. And in the offensive group that featured the Packers starters for 11 on 11 walkthroughs or seven on seven, Malik Heath was in there. So I think that shows that he's caught the attention of the coaching staff. And he had a nice reception as Jordan Love worked through his progressions left to right uh, with Razul Razul Douglas as the nearest defender. So again, they're in shorts. He's going to have to do this when the training camp rolls around, the pads come on. But in terms of just getting off to a really good start, building some momentum, he's done that. And when we look at the wide receiver room as a whole, it's young, but it's crowded. There's what I think are five roster spots that I would consider locks at this point. Watson, Dobbs, Toure, Reed, and Dontavian Wicks. Grant DeBose is yet to practice, even in rookie minicamp. He hasn't been on the field, uh, assuming an injury, although it's undisclosed at this time. And Matt LaFleur said, you know, he's going to have to play catch up because you can study and have all the best off the field habits, but there's nothing like being on the field and getting those practice reps. So if there is an opportunity for Malik Heath, I think it's going to come at that final wide receiver spot. 
But I will say at this point in time, I would still pick Grant Dubose to be that as the favorite in part because he has to show it in training camp. And also the Packers, they prefer to keep their draft picks when given the opportunity. I think Jonathan Ford on the defensive line last year is a prime example of that. I, I think many thought that Chris Slayton or Jack Heflin outplayed him during the preseason, but the Packers chose to still keep him on the 53-man roster. So they like to keep their own, understandably so. So I think DeBose still has the edge, but Malik Heath's a name to watch this summer. Yeah, Heath definitely a person to watch with DeBose. Your best ability is availability, and right mm-hmm. now he's not been available. And one guy who has been available and his – I, your article I was starting to reference when you were working on the audio issue was one thing that stood out and it was the up and down play of Jordan Love. And I was just commenting that I guess he made a throw a couple days ago that impressed everybody. Uh, would, have, would have been a touchdown pass to Christian Watson. He also had interception and two minute drill on a throw he should not have made. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't get too excited or too low at this point. It's, OTAs, it's mini camp. Some guys are doing things they normally wouldn't do, just trying to try things out and whatnot. But what stood out to you about Jordan Love uh, during this stretch of practices? I think the the big thing, and you mentioned it, was just the up and down play that that throw to Christian Watson you referenced. It was it was a thing of beauty. It was downfield, and we all know Watson has the speed. He hit him in stride. He did not have to break it. And during a seven on seven drill prior to that. He found Romeo Dobbs in the back left corner with Jair in tight coverage and Love just dropped the ball perfectly over Dobbs' shoulders where only he could get it, made a sliding grab. And so you see those plays, those flashes from him of that 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 ability that he has as a passer. But as you'd expect from a young quarterback, it's about consistency right now. You know, we see him making better throws from the pocket versus on the run, which again is not uncommon. And, and, you know, there's decision-making that he's just going to have to work through. But he also said as well, this is a time of year to, if you're going to push things, now's the time to do it versus in a game to figure out what you and the offense can and can't do. So there may be a little bit of that as well. The big points of emphasis for him have been footwork. Tom Clements talked about that when he first got here for the second time last summer. Uh, They went back to the basics with love, working on footwork, movement drills, progression drills. Uh, and we also saw him during one of the OTA practices, really, really emphasizing the hard count. Uh, one, one thing it does is obviously it tests the defense and we saw it work on a few occasions where the defense, they didn't jump off sides, but they tipped their hat with some late movement or if a blitz was coming, but also the offensive line has to learn what his cadence is and love also has to get down what his cadence is. So those have been the main areas of emphasis for him, uh, throughout last year, but also in training or mini camp here so far in OTAs, but it's, as you'd expect, it's up and down plays. There's areas of improvement and then there's plays that he make where it looks really good. And, and I mentioned a couple weeks ago on my show that the only expectations I have of Jordan love in 2023 is for him to show that he's an NFL quality starting quarterback. That's what I need to see. I don't need to see him be Aaron Rodgers. I don't need to see him be whoever. He just needs to show that he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think if we – so 2008, when Rodgers took over for Favre, by the end of that season, we knew we had a quarterback that was going to be around for a long time. 
Love has two years to kind of show that to the mm-hmm. show that to the the front office and show that to us the fans. And by the end of the season, I don't obviously I want the Packers to win every game. What fan doesn't? But win loss record this season isn't that important to me. The Packers can go ahead and win four games. But if Jordan Love looks the part in every game, that's a good thing. Now the mm-hmm. four wins isn't the best, but again, Packers went six and ten in uh, Rogers' first year as a starter. But we saw that progression each and every week. For you, what are your expectations this season for Jordan Love? Like, what are you looking to see from him? I think the big thing, and you mentioned it right at the end there, it's progression. Uh, he's a first-time starting quarterback. Matt Lafleur said during the owners' meetings there needs to be, uh, you know. Uh, tempering of expectations because he is a first time starting quarterback, but also it's his fourth year in the NFL. It's his fourth year in the Matt LaFleur system. There's going to be bumps in the road, but what we want to see is a progression from week to week. We don't want to see the repeat mistakes. So for me, that's the big thing. It's understanding that, yeah, he's a first time starter and there's going to be the hiccups that come with that. But also this is why the Packers have kept, you know, took the path of drafting him and bringing him along slowly. So hopefully the learning curve isn't nearly as steep. And so from week one to five and so on, I just want to see that steady progression from him. And again, if he's making mistakes or when he's making mistakes early on in the season, we aren't seeing those same mistakes later on in the year. So for me, that's the big thing. Yeah, And moving the offensive line, um, looked like they were trying a bunch of different things uh, when there wasn't um, Bakhtiari wasn't really practicing or um, I don't know if it w- wasn't practicing in the right, but now you have Tom playing some right tackle, Yash Nyman playing some right tackle. Stenovich commented that Tom would probably play out both center mm-hmm. guard and right tackle eventually. I like Tom personally as a center. I think he just has that that build and that expert, you know, that knowledge and that ability that I think he could be a really, really good center. I know Myers is there. Had you know, he missed a lot of his rookie year because of injuries. Kind of a do or die for Myers this season. I guess where you see the offensive line shaping up, especially with Zach Tom. Yeah, and Brian Gutekunst earlier this offseason said when they were evaluating him out of coming out of Wake Forest that they thought his best position was center over offensive tackle. So, uh, but I think so. Where Tom spent most of his time was at right tackle during this these offseason programs. Him and Yash were basically alternating, whether it was drill to drill or day to day. They were taking turns playing with the starters at right tackle. So that's where he spent most of his time. When it was Nyman who was at right tackle, Tom was at right guard with the second team offense. And it wasn't until the two-minute drills of the very final minicamp practice that we saw him at center, not not in individual drills. Up until then, he hadn't been in taking center snaps during team drills, but he did with the second team offense and third team offense during the two-minute drills. So he spent the least amount of time there. If I were to guess right now how it's going to shake out, I would I would guess that he's going to be the right tackle. Uh, again, very small sample size pads weren't on. It's really tough to evaluate offensive line play when the pads aren't on, but I thought that, uh, he held up specifically in pass protection a little bit better than what Nyman did. But up until I see more of him at center and guard, at least at this time, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give Myers and Runyon the the benefit of the doubt and their experience that they're going to be the starting center and right guard going into the season. But regardless of where they think Tom's at his best, Matt LaFleur always preaches 
put the best five on the field, he is absolutely one of the best five. I don't know how they can go into week one and not have him in that lineup. Yeah, they definitely have a good problem to have at the tackle position with Tom Eichmann, mm-hmm. Akhtiari on the other side. Very good problem to have a tackle, and I'm glad I'm not the one to have to figure that out. <laughs> um, who's been the bet? Who is doing a lot of the number two at left tackle? Because with Bakhtiari in and out of the lineup at, from time to time this past season, likely his last year in Green Bay on his current contract. And I stress current contract because they can always re-sign him after they release him. I'm about 99% sure he's going to be released at the end of the season because that $40 million uh, cap uh, is quite a bit for a a, a left tackle. <laughs> That's more quarterback money. Um, who are you seeing at left tackle behind Bakhtiari? Is there uh, anyone in particular they're putting over there a lot or is it not, not really a rotation there yet? Yeah, so... I mean, in season, if if they needed a left tackle, I assume it'd be Yash or Tom, whoever isn't at right tackle. But with the second team offense, we saw a lot of Rasheed Walker and Caleb Jones taking those left tackle snaps. Uh, you, you mentioned Bakhtiari, most likely in his final season. Yash Nyman is also an unrestricted free agent next year. The Packers have a ton of tackle depth right now, but they very well could be facing a lot of question marks around that. And Luke Butkus, the offensive line coach, mentioned earlier back in May that they have another year for guys like Walker, Caleb Jones, Luke Tenuta as well to to develop because they could be competing for starting snaps next year. And and all three of those guys are uh, were rookies last season, so they they're on at least they're on what seems to be a similar trajectory to Yash Nyman. Nyman was a twenty twenty or twenty nineteen undrafted rookie. Uh, 2020 was, you know, didn't see much. And then it was 2021 where we started to see him. He wasn't a full-time starter, but the Packers called upon him when needed to take some of those snaps. So that was his third NFL season. If we look ahead to 2024, where there's that uncertainty at the tackle position, Rasheed Walker, Tenuta, and Caleb Jones are all going to be in their third season. So I think for those three, it's going to be another year to improve, to develop, and then next year, who knows, they, they could very quickly see their roles expand. Jumping over the defensive side of the ball, um, they brought in Justin Hollins last year um, after the Rams released him, after Rashawn Gary went down with his ACL. Packers struggled to get to, after the quarterback. Preston Smith's obviously there. Justin Hollins is obviously Rashawn Gary, Luke Van Ness. Um Outside of those four, you have Bretton Cox, who was a uh, undrafted rookie um, from this year, who wasn't for off the field issues. He's probably dra- uh, gets drafted, and then you have a couple other guys who are young. Who uh, outside of the I guess the big th- three with the rookie Van Ness uh, being the fourth, which pass rushers do you think are going to be be around, and how many do you think they keep? So if I had to guess, I would, I would say they keep five. That's been a pretty typical number for them. And, you know, that hinges who's going to be there hinges on if Gary's available week one or not. So I would consider the absolute locks right now. Obviously, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, uh, Lucas Van Ness, and, and J.J. Eneg Barre. From a salary cap standpoint, Justin Hollins is not a roster lock. They can, they can release him this summer and only incur a dead cap hit of 155000 But – 
in terms of how he was utilized and the role he played throughout mini camp, like it's hard to not see him being a part of this edge rusher rotation. He was consistently playing across or across from Preston Smith with the starting offense. He was also out there on uh, taking some first team special team snaps as well. Again, the, the more you can do, the better when it comes to to the NFL. So he's someone that, again, I may not put him squarely in the roster lock category, but with how he was utilized, it's hard to see them moving on from him, especially since when he, he was here last season, he was a very uh, productive player out of 104 edge rushers. And these numbers are from PFF. He ranked 26 in their pass rush win rate metric and 27 in their run stop win rate metric. So he was good against the run. He was solid against the pass. And, you know, when you need a, at a position that's so heavily rotated where you rely on at least four guys each week, that's very, very valuable to have. So how that position could shake out, like I said, Van Ness, Enig Bari, Smith are locks. If Gary starts off the year on the pup list, that leaves potentially two roster spots open, which I'd have going to Hollins and Brenton Cox. If Gary is available for week one, and again, we don't know if that's going to be the case or not, he would obviously take up a roster spot, and then I would still have it going to Hollins at that point. So that's how I see things right now, at least shaking out at edge rusher. Yeah, my guess is they would hope that Brenton Cox, unless he goes absolutely bonkers in uh, training camp and preseason, they're probably going to try to squeeze him onto that practice squad mm-hmm. potentially if they can get him through. But he he looks the part in shorts. We'll see if he looks mm-hmm. the part once pads come on. Defensive backs room, Eric Stokes, uh, up and down, mostly down season last year. Pretty solid rookie year. Uh, last year he got hurt in the same Detroit game where Gary got hurt. They are switching uh, turf fields in Detroit this season, finally, after a lot of injuries there. But anywho, with Stokes, when healthy, where do you see him fitting in? Because you got Alexander and uh, uh, you have Alexander, you got Douglas, and then you have Nixon, who, uh, you know, the defense likes as well, especially playing a lot in the slot. Where do you see Stokes fitting in right now with this defense when he's healthy? Oof, that, that's a great question. I'll be honest. I, I'm not sure if I have an answer right now. I mean, their options are they could try to put the big three, him, Jair, and Razul on the field together, but Razul was so much better on the boundary last season than in the slot. And then Stokes, you know, he's he's a more, not that he can't play inside, but he's more of a boundary cornerback. So unless they want to move Jair in there, but Jair, he's so good. He's one of those guys you want to at least have the flexibility to move him around. You know, maybe they get really creative with it and give Razul some more safety snaps. I mean, that's something Brian Gudikins even alluded to. I think it was back during the draft, and that his his skill set, what he does well, you know, could complement the safety position. So maybe they get creative that way. But that's a really good question, and I I, I wonder what what the Packers' plan is at this point. They might have to just see how things play out. Yeah, and. Didn't really know for sure what happened with Stokes until recently where is more of a the foot was the bigger issue than the knee. Mm-hmm. So I guess we got to see how that foot even uh recovers. Cause I wasn't it the uh Liz like what uh Liz Frank injury, yeah. whatever. And people have a hard time coming back and from that in general. A corner feet are very important to him. Safety, probably the weakest position on this defense. Uh, Savage is back. 
I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> um, maybe not. Um, outside of that, they don't really have a lot of safety. They did sign Jonathan Owen, so a.k.a. Simone Bias's husband. Um, they do have Anthony Johnson uh, as a rookie. Safety position, where do you see that shaping up? So based on what we saw so far, if I was putting together the depth chart based on my observations, Darnell Savage is one next to him. Rudy Ford. Rudy Ford was right along Savage with the starters during every session that was open to us. And that shouldn't come as a surprise in terms of experience in the Joe Barry defense after Savage. He has the second most snaps in that safety room. He was reliable. And, I, you know, and that's really what the Packers needed last year. He was a reliable positioned well, and that led to several takeaways. I believe he had three interceptions and a fumble recovery when on the football field. He's also a willing tackler. Uh, capable run defender. So he he brings some steadiness to the position, which you want in a position that has the word safe in it. So he was number two. Anthony Johnson, rookie at Iowa State, he was number five. And Tavarius Moore and Jonathan Owens, for me, coin flip, who you want at three, who you want at four right now. If, if it was coming out of OTAs and we had this conversation, I would have said Tavarius Moore. He was clearly getting more snaps with the one with the ones again behind Ford, behind Savage over Owens, but Moore did not participate in the mini camp practices. So Owens was in that third spot. So how they view those two, I think is still very much up in the air. You know, both have shown to be, uh, again, good run defenders, capable tacklers. So I, I feel like a differentiator is going to be who can do more, who has, who can be asked to handle more responsibilities. And that might be who comes out on top in terms of that mini battle within the big position battle. One other thing I'll add added wrinkle that just, I think further complicates the safety position is Dallin Levitt. I mean, Dallin Levitt did not, he was at practice, but he did not participate in any of the practices, but he's primarily a special teams player. He's played his entire career under Rich Bisaccia here in green Bay or in, or with the Raiders. There were, I think at least two occasions that I can remember from last season where Aaron Rodgers uh, specifically complimented Levitt on just his his leadership qualities that he brings in the locker room. And, that, and that's really valuable to have, especially on a team with as much inexperience as they have. So how do the Packers value, let's say, Tavarius Moore or Jonathan Owens, who maybe they're not as strong special teams players, still capable in that area as Levitt? but bring defensive value versus Levitt, who maybe has leadership, you know, or uh, experience under Basaccia is the better special teams player. I'm just really curious to see how all of that shakes out because at least at this time, it's hard to envision them keeping six safeties, which means we've just discussed six. So one of them is going to have to be cut. And I would say the only, again, if I was to put roster locks right now, it's Savage Ford and Anthony Johnson. Yeah, and it all comes down to who keeps the special teams coach happy because that's become a position of emphasis after the San Francisco debacle. Mm -hmm. And Lovett, I think, would have the inside track there as he is a really good special teams player. So listening to the players talk, seeing the highlights, seeing just how close the team has gotten together um, this this offseason, um. And I respect everything Aaron Rodgers did during his time in Green Bay. All, one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. 
one of the best quarterbacks in Packer history, depending on if you're more of a Bart Starr or Favre or Rodgers guy, depending on which camp you stand in. But I think we can agree he's probably the most talented quarterback the Packers have ever had. So not trying to put him down, but it seems like things are more fun with that cloud off the team, which the past three years it's been this, is Rodgers going to be here or not next year? With him now gone, it seems like the guys are a lot more loose, having a lot more fun. Is that kind of the vibe you get a little bit? Um, you know, I can't. I was I wasn't in the locker room during this time last year or during the previous off seasons. Um, again, at this time, um, so I can't really speak to that comparison just because I'm not sure. What I will say about this year's this year's squad in particular is there's definitely uh, bonds and relationships that have been formed. I was talking with Romeo Dobbs in the locker room after one of the practices. And, you know, he was loves go-to target during a number of these practices. And he says the two got together uh, often or on several occasions this off season. And you can see that chemistry that been built. Um, I think we all saw the, the Instagram photos from, uh, the Memorial Day weekend up in Door County that that AJ Dillon had put together for everyone. So I think there's definitely an energy to this group, and I and I'm guessing that in part that just that comes when you have you know uh, new players, young players in the building. But you know they're they definitely seem like they've 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 grown and they're in their uh, you know a, a close knit group. I know with Rodgers, Packers, so except for the COVID season where Robert Tanya seemed to always be open across the middle, he wasn't a big fan of going across the middle uh, with the football often. And I know the floor's offense, the Shanahan tree, it's attacking the middle. Did you notice more of that this uh, during OTAs, that they were trying to attack the middle of the field more frequently than they have possibly in the past? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't charting it by any means, but – if I were to guess right now, I would say the majority of where Love's throws went were over the middle. Uh, that's where the play designs were going. And as he was going through his progressions, doing his, you know, getting the ball out on time, that's really where it ended up quite often. And interesting to see, I, as I mentioned, I want to see Love's growth and development. I'm also interested to see what the offense looks like being run as designed you see what San Francisco does. You see what the Rams did prior to Stafford. A lot of, a lot, everything seemed to be built off the run is mm-hmm. what they tried to do. You can run out of any formation or you can pass out of every formation. A lot of moving pre-snap movement, a lot of across the middle, all things that Rodgers didn't like, so we couldn't do it a whole lot. So I'm interested to see what LaFleur's offense truly looks like being run as it's, as the, as the, what they're doing rather than just a variation of what Rogers wanted to do. I guess, does that interest you a lot too? Yeah. And I think that goes back to what I'd mentioned at the beginning with just the versatility that they have. And that's really going to open up the playbook for the floor and what he can dial up and what he can ask these guys to do. Like I said, Musgrave and Reed, if they're both running deep crossers, you're going to cover them differently if you're a defense. And that has a trickle down to how it impacts the rest of the offense or how the rest of the defense and how they cover the offense. So like you said, I think there's going to be more motion. And one other name, just to throw it out there at the receiver position, Bo Melton. Um, we didn't see him used in this capacity during the offseason programs. Again, they're laying the foundation. They're not exactly diving in deep into the playbook at this time of the year. 
But if there's going to be more motion, you need a motion man. You need a gadget type player. And Bo Melton, four three four speed, like he is someone who could potentially fill that role in this offense. And again, there's just a trickle down effect when he's the motion man and the linebackers, the the the, def, the defensive front, they have to have that split second of does he have the ball, Melton, or does the quarterback have the ball? Offensive linemen can get into better position. Uh, passing lanes can open up because of, again, just that split second. That's all it takes in this game. And so I think there's a ton of value in having that player. So I think he's someone just to keep our eyes on this summer, uh, specifically to fill that role. Because I think, like I said, motion is going to be a bigger part of it, more play action, more under center snaps from Jordan Love and over the middle, like you mentioned as well. Yeah, well, appreciate you coming on, talking about the OTAs and what you observed, guys that stood out to you guy I didn't ask about and I just thought about asking about because mm-hmm. it seems like uh, Jordan Love and Josiah Degara tend to be have a bit of a connection too. What do you, what do you what did you see him doing mostly during the the OTAs? The kind of that H back role or tight end or combination? It was it was a combination and I think that's gonna be again one of the one of the storylines that I'll be watching as the summer and even early into the season unfolds because he is an H back, like you mentioned. And during the individual position grills, there was the group of tight ends. And then off to the side, even from the tight ends, was Josiah DeGore and Henry Pearson, who's an undrafted rookie. He's a tight end at Appalachian State, but the Packers have him listed as a fullback. So as Pearson and DeGore are going through their own drills, again, more of that H back role and everything that comes with that. But we've heard the Fleur talk about it. You know, there's a steep learning curve that comes with the tight end position. So I guess I'm wondering how they strike that balance between, all right, DeGora, he's an H back, but do we want him at times, again, maybe more so early on, filling more of the traditional tight end responsibilities? Again, just to take some, we're still going to see plenty of Musgrave and Kraft, but just to take some of the responsibilities early on off their plate. So I'm curious to see how that balance is struck. So to answer your question, he was doing... Uh, taking H-back drills and snaps in that capacity. Luke Musgrave saw a ton of snaps with the starters on offense, but depending on what type of personnel they were in, you know, specifically uh, when there were two running back sets on the field, we saw Josiah DeGuara as the starting, you know, quote unquote tight end in those instances. So I think we're going to see a, a mixture of both. I think ideally what the Packers are hoping is that Musgrave craft can step into those tight end responsibilities so DeGuar can go more into his H-back role. But there's going to be more opportunities for him this year, just I think simply because of the makeup of the tight end room compared to what we had seen in the past where you know he was third on the pecking order. And maybe that's where he ends up this year, depending on how Musgrave and Kraft develop. But at least early on, I think he's going to play a larger role than what he has previously. Yeah, I, I definitely think he will too. He wasn't one of Aaron's guys, so we didn't see him on the field a lot. And when we did, we I, I saw him many times open, but it's almost like Rodgers wouldn't look at him. So I'm kind of curious to see what he can do when he has a quarterback that's looking to get him the football in space to see what he can do. So do appreciate you coming on. Apologize with the about the no, no worries. high end, your end, where it was. But I do apologize for that. But thank you so much for coming on. If you want to let our watch, uh, viewers and listeners know where they can find your stuff here and how to follow you on social, feel free to promote your your stuff really quick. 
Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Evan. It was fun talking Packers with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettle. You can find my work at Dairyland Express and uh, Packers Wire. That's where all my writing is. And then I pop over on ESPN Lacrosse Sports Lead uh, multiple times per week in season and then throughout the offseason talk Packers. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. Now I'm going to switch gear to talk some some uh, some brewers here because I do have some things I do want to discuss and kind of get up my chest a little bit. But I do appreciate it. And as I mentioned, if uh, podcast version will be posted tomorrow morning. This will be pinned to the top of my social media on uh, Facebook and Twitter. If you want to share uh, it with any of your readers and whatnot, mm-hmm. feel free to promote it all you want. So I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Evan. Take care. Have a good rest of your night. So thanks to Paul once again for coming on. And now Milwaukee Brewer baseball. Twitching gears a little bit. A little frustrated Milwaukee Brewer fan right now. Um, The Brewers are not playing very good baseball right now. Had a great start to the year in April. And since then, they've just not been very good. Uh, Dom Contronio, who, were, who is the... Um, Brewers Extra Innings and Brewers Weekly host for 620 WTMJ uh, tweeted out earlier this, uh, I guess, Sunday. I got to find the exact record and how the Brewers have been since the end of April. And so the Brewers started 15 and 6. There, This was as of Sunday, June 11. So we've had some games played since then. They've lost twice to the Twins, I guess I should say, since then. They were 19 and 26, or well, now they're 19 and 28 since they allowed a nine run eighth inning against the Red Sox at the end of April. The Brewers are free falling. Fortunately for Milwaukee, the rest of the division is not very good. The Cubs are winning currently, two, I mean, the Pirates are beating the Cubs currently two to one. But they're just not very good right now, and they're free-falling, losers of six in a row. And I just, I don't really know, I don't know where the team goes from here. And I don't know, so the 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 roster is constructed bad. You have Christian Yelich, who looks to be back to being the Christian Yelich, um, that we 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 got from Miami. I'm not going to say it's the Christian Yelich we get we had um during the MVP years, but this Christian Yelich is more like the Christian Yelich we had when he was in Miami. And he's one of their better hitters. But unfortunately, they have a lot of black holes in this Brewer lineup right now. That's not very good. Luis Urias, I, yes, I know he had a home run. He's extremely popular. Everybody loves him. He's not very good. And I'm not a big Luis Urias guy. I think he's a good utility guy. But when you're asking for Luis Urias to be in every, to be a every, um, everyday player, you're going to have some problems. And as I mentioned, he is not looking the part right now. The Brewers currently in team batting average, the, um, the league leaders, the Texas Rangers, with a team average of 272. The Brewers are all the way in 26 plays, a 209 average, and a split of 306, 377, and 683. 
OPS. That 683 OPS is 25th in baseball. Only the White Sox, Kansas City, the Guardians, the Tigers, and the Athletics have a worse OPS than Milwaukee. The Brewers are striking out at a high rate as well. They are tied for fourth in baseball with 643 strikeouts on the season. And walks, they are 18th in baseball with 227 walks so far on the season. And they're not even really hitting for power either. They're middle of the pack, 15th in baseball with uh, when it comes to the home, the long ball with, sorry, I lost it for a minute, 78 home runs. They're tied for 15th or 78 home runs on the year. So last year, the Brewers were at least hitting the home run ball often. This year, they're struggling all around. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I was very wrong on Jesse Winkle. I thought he would be a great presence to this lineup. He seemed to be a a Brewer killer when he played in AmFam Field as a member of the Cincinnati Reds. He has done absolutely nothing with the Brewers. Um, I mentioned Luis Urias already. Singleton was a great story three weeks ago, but he's not any good. And Willie Adamas. I, I, as a person, I like Willie Adamas. I think he's a, he's a fun guy, brings some fun to the team. But to have him be number two in your lineup based on an almost daily basis when he is batting 205 and can't really hit the baseball consistently, can't get the baseball into play consistently, that is a problem. If the Brewers want to go on a run offensively, they need Willie Adamas to come alive. Um, Willie Adamas has, again, as I as I said, he seems like a you know fun guy, but he's batting two hundred four, and I know batting average isn't looked at what it used to be. It's not the end all be all that it used to be. I get that. I understand that. It's not an important stat anymore, but he's 204, 283, 658 in this regular season. He's a career 250 hitter, 319 on base percentage, and a 760 OPS career. He's at 283 and 658. His last seven games, he's batting 194. Last 30 games, he's batting 172. He has 10 home runs, which is great, but he's also striking out at a very high rate. He's got 80, uh, 66 strikeouts on the year. He had a career high last year with 166. Instead of just trying to put the ball in place try, and, and play, trying to make contact, trying to make things happen, he's he's getting out too often and he's not doing it when there, a, when there is runners in scoring position, batting average on balls in play, career low, 238. Last year, he was 278 for the year. Um, total bases, he's currently at 81. Ground into double plays, six. Ground into double play opportunities, 
36. So Adamas needs to figure it out. Yelich, Adamas, Roddy Telez, Contreras, those guys need to be the leader of the Brewers' offense. And right now, Yelich is the only one really doing anything. And it's frustrating. And then pitching-wise, Corbin Burns is not pitching like the Corbin Burns who won the Cy Young or even Corbin Burns from last year. Um, Freddie Peralta is freebie Freddie more often than not. Miley's just coming off the I.L. Woody's still on the I.L. Adrian Hauser can't put together two good performances in a row. The makeup of this roster is not good. And I don't blame Matt Arnold for this. I I more I blame the owner. I blame Mark Antanasio because since they signed Christian Yelich to the contract, the Brewers have not spent any money. They're not spending money, period, right now since they signed Yelich to that contract. And I think that's partially is why Stearns decided that, hey, I I need to take a step back. I'll be a consultant. And now the rumor is, which I said it months ago, that he was going to go to New York. It's looking like he's going to go to New York next year. The Brewers need to do something different than shopping at the the bargain bin at the dollar store to try to bring pieces into this team. Weimer, I think, is going to be good, but Weimer is a rookie. I think uh, Terang is going to be very good, but again, he's a rookie, and you got to let the young guys play. The reason why they sent Terang down to Nashville is so he gets more regular at-bats to kind of get the confidence back. But Tyrone Taylor should not be on a major league roster on a team that thinks they're a playoff team. There's just no other way around that. Singleton should not be getting at-bats on a team that thinks they're a playoff team. But this is a team that they're stuck putting together because they can't spend money. And I'm not saying go on a shopping spree. I'm not saying go out and throw stupid money around to people. But spend a few extra dollars to bring professional hitters, professional baseball players in here and not guys that are bad. This team is awful against left-handed pitching. And it's been awful against left-handed pitching for a while now. But they do nothing to address it. It's all about platoon guys. Well, the guys you are platooning to face these left-handed guys are not playing very well. Owen Miller has been a bright spot on this team thus far, but when as you look at the more playing time he gets, what is happening? His numbers are coming back down to earth. Um, the more playing time Owen Miller is getting, and I like Owen Miller. He's from Wisconsin, great story, young guy, but he's down to three hundred one in his last seven games. He's at two forty one. Last fifteen, he's at two forty six. He was batting 330 before he started playing every day. So, but with that said, had some things on the Brewers. I had to get out my chest. Some Bucks uh, chatter is coming around how Beal could be on the Bucks radar, which I hope they don't trade for Beal for the fact that he's got a full no trade clause. And once the Bucks get him, they're stuck with him. 40 million plus a year for the next five years. And if things don't work out, you can't move him. You're stuck with him. 
because no team is going to want to trade for him and he can veto any trade and you don't really have a lot to give up either. So it'd have to be a three team trade. So I'm going to talk more Milwaukee Bucks next week. I'll be in Door County next week doing the show. So if you hear dog dogs barking a little bit in the background and whatnot, that's the reason why one of my mom's dogs likes to bark just for the sake of barking. It seems like, but with that said, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Paul for joining me to talk some Packers. It was exciting. Apologize to everyone for the little technical difficulties that we had early on in the show, but I will get back at you next week. Have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you later.